For our children, for our homes, for the lost who long for hope, for this nation so in need of God today. For the lonely, for the hurt, those who hunger, those who thirst, for a world that has to hear that Jesus saves. Who will pray? Who will lift their heart to heaven? Who will fall before the throne of grace? Who will pray, trusting he will hear and answer? All who come to him in faith, who will pray? That our steps would never turn from what is right. That no matter, that no what, matter the cost, what the cost, with compassion we would share the love of Christ. Who will pray? Who will lift their heart to heaven? Who will fall before the throne of grace? Who will pray, trusting he will hear and answer all who come to him in faith? Who will pray? We are helpless without his power. But he has promised our prayers are not in vain. So who will pray? We will pray. We will lift our hearts to heaven. We will fall before the throne of grace. We will pray, trusting he will hear and answer. ministry uh, full-time for 40 years or plus, and uh, before that he was in the ministry, just wasn't getting paid to do it. Uh, it's always an interesting thing. Men of God that are in the ministry full-time were often in the ministry full-time long before they ever got in the ministry full-time. Can I tell you that if you're not in the ministry full-time, you're not right either. We're all to be in the ministry full-time, aren't we? You may not be being paid to Stand behind a pulpit like I have the privilege of doing, but you're in the ministry full time. It takes sacrifice, and I know many of you, if not all of you, have sacrificed much. Uh, 
and appreciate that sacrifice. Today, we have a servant of God who has sacrificed much on behalf of his Lord. Now, he would not call it sacrifice, but as I look at his life, I look at what he's endured and what God has allowed him to go through, and yet we see him faithful to the end. Uh, he's been through a lot of physical issues as of late, and I just say that he's here today preaching for us when most men would have already said it's time to retire and just kind of put it, the Bible up on the shelf a little bit and relax. Now, Brother Moon, I got this sneaking suspicion he's going to be winning souls and preaching the Word of God till the day he meets his master face to face. Now, that's not any comfort to his wife, probably. But that's a reality of his life, and she's known that from the time she knew him. I pray that you and I, again, will open our hearts. I want God to do something in my life. And I pray you do, too, today. Brother Moon. Well, it's good to be here today. It's better to be seen than to be viewed. Amen? And uh, I thought I was going to be viewed there for a while, but... Uh, and uh, where's Brother Wetzel? Is he out smoking or something? I wanted to be like him, so this is why I did this. Be like him. And then I got to thinking, well, I want to be like Jesus. Now I only had one shot at it, and that's to grow a beard. Because Jesus had a beard. They plucked it out. You've got to have one to pluck it out, obviously. And so, uh, and so that's what I was trying to do, but I'm not sure I succeeded. If I did, that's the only thing that I was able to succeed in. But anyway, it is great to be here. It's good to be alive. It's good to be saved. What an honor it is to be in your church and be a part here. I always consider it one of the highlights of, of my time, my year, if I get to come and be a part. And I really miss not being with you last year. We had to cancel, obviously, because of COVID, and the COVID got us. But, uh, boy, God's good. But I couldn't have picked a better time to have health issues. I missed a lot of church last year, but part of it, they wouldn't have it anyway, so it wasn't as big of a deal. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, but we had a good time there, and God sure was good, and and I've said it before, it's good to have a, a, two, two best decisions I ever made in my life. The first one was to get saved. Amen? Amen. I mean, uh, let me say it again. First one was to get saved. Amen? Amen? That's the best one I ever did. All right? And then the second best thing I ever did was marrying Sheila and having her to put up with me. Boy, did I need her this last year. She was a uh, super-duper blessing uh, as we went through a few little difficulties in the path of life. And, but nothing like some of you've gone through. God was sure good to me, but again, I know a lot of you've gone through even harder things. And I was laying in bed. I couldn't sleep much after I had surgery. I had trouble sleeping. I've never had trouble sleeping. I've had trouble staying awake, but not sleeping. You know what I'm saying? And I was having trouble staying uh, sleeping. And I was sleeping two or three hours a night would be a, was, was a lot of sleep. And I, I said, I know I can't keep functioning like this. I've got to have help. I tried everything, uh, quaaludes and and so, <laughs> now, actually, they gave me pain medicine, and Sheila kept saying, Ricky, just take the pain medicine. And I said, I, I, got, I, can't, I don't want to do that. I, don't, I, I just don't want, number one, that stuff's addictive, and I don't want to get addicted to it, point one. Point two, it just messes me up, and I just don't want to be a part of it. So I took very little of it, just very little, and so I just didn't do it. I tried that melatonin, and I might as well have just been drinking water. It didn't do anything for me. I give it to kids, and they go right to sleep, but it didn't work for me. But I'd lay awake at night, and, and I'd lay there and just, I mean, for hours, I'd lay awake and pray and think, and Satan attacked, and I don't know, maybe, maybe none of you have had that problem. But boy, Satan run me over the ringers, and I'd get to thinking about it, and I'd start praying and begging God to forgive me. The Bible says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. 
So I knew who to encourage myself in and went to him. And then I got to thinking about all the people who have it worse than I do. You know, no matter how bad we got it, somebody out there has got it worse than you do. A lot worse. And we look at that and go, wow, I'm glad I don't have as bad as they do. And, uh, boy, it's tough. So I know some of you even watching uh, live stream this morning, you have a tough time. It's tough. It's hard. But remember this. Somebody out there has got it worse than you do. And God sure has been good to you. And he sure has been good to me. If you have your Bibles, please. Again, thank you for being here. I appreciate it so much. Uh, turn, if you would, to 1 John chapter number 1. 1 John chapter 1. Brad, that's in the New Testament. For your sake, I wanted to help you with that this morning. New Testament. Do you even have a New Testament in your... Oh, that's all you have is the New Testament. Okay. You got a New Testament. So many Bible. Oh, where's your family Bible? Oh, okay. <laughs> Bring it tonight. Anyway, I appreciate these guys. I love them. Sure appreciate your pastor. What a good man you have. What a good man you have. And I'm so honored. Again, I'm honored that he gives me the privilege to stand behind his pulpit. And I want to make sure I'm careful that I don't do anything or say anything I shouldn't say that would not be what he believed and practiced in his life. First John chapter number 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifest unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto, unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Father, I pray you bless today. Pray you guide and direct in everything that I say and do. I know I've struggled this morning just a little bit, and even yesterday, with trying to clarify what message is preached this morning. And, uh, Father, I, I even outlined a message, and, and, and Lord, I, I don't know, but I keep coming back to this. I believe this is what you want for this time. So please, Holy Spirit, take control. Father, have your way. Go up and down these aisles and up and down these pews and rows, and, Lord, you touch our hearts. Draw us close to you. May we be close to you. May we have that true fellowship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. First John, one of the main reasons it was written was for fellowship. God talks about how to have fellowship with Him. He also talks about how to know for sure you're saved in this, in, this, in this book. But one of the things he starts out with is fellowship with God and having fellowship. Now, truthfully, I like this. Verse 4, and these things write we unto you. What for? That your joy may be full. Don't you like to have joy? You ever lost your joy? I have. You ever lost your joy? You ever come to time in your life where you just feel like, man, it's just, I, don't, I don't have that joy. I don't have that peace. I don't have that happiness that I really want. Now I feel like, man, sometimes you just feel like you're at the bottom of the barrel. I mean, uh, even the last year, you know, with all we went, with the COVID and all that kind of, you could almost say that it, the joy is not there that used to be there. I don't know about you, but it's hard to get up behind the pulpit and preach a message looking at a camera. I don't know how these guys do it. You just got to act like, you, like they're all out there. Hey, you're on the front row there. There's nobody on the front row, you know? Hey, hey, you good-looking guy. No, nope, no, nope, pointing the wrong direction. Hey, you good. Nope, nope, definitely not the right direction. But, man, this well-dressed man sitting back here or whatever, you know? Teenager cutting up. None of you would do that. 
you, get, you know, it's kind of weird the way it was all came down. But I tell you what, God sure was good in the midst of all of it. But you know, you come back and some, if you're not careful, you can lose the joy you have. You know, God wants us to have joy. He wants you to have joy in your life. Too many Christians have no joy. They're, they're, they're down and out. They're discouraged. They're disappointed. Everything is humdrum. They're always on, on, uh, on drag, the seat of pants are dragging their tracks out all the time. And they just feel like, man, things just don't go my way. Everything's against me. Everybody's against me. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares. And if we're not careful, we let the devil talk us into that. I was laying, I told you about being after surgery, laying in the bed awake. The devil said, yeah, look at you. You're having all these setbacks. Jesus don't really love you. That's kind of what he wanted to put in your mind. Yes, he does. And because you're having setbacks doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Maybe he's setbacks because I need the setbacks. But with that said, God wants us to have joy. And that joy is going to come as we have fellowship. And he says your fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And if we're going to have fellowship one with another, we need to first have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, which are translating us having fellowship one with another and dealing with each other right. But what happens if we're not careful is we, we get to this point where when we get to the last part of this chapter, we have a problem with sin. And sin's what breaks the fellowship with God. Sin's what breaks the fellowship with Jesus. And one reason we lose our joy is because our fellowship with God and our fellowship with the Son, our fellowship with one another has been broken because of sin. Look at what he says in verse number six. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Verse seven. If, but if we walk in light, he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Truth's not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us all unrighteous. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. So he says, if we say, if we say, if we walk, if we confess, if we say. And in this passage, he gives us three different ways, and I'm not going to touch on all of them this morning, just the first one probably. But he gives us three different ways we can deal with our sin in this passage. Three different ways we can do it. And a lot of times we're not careful. We don't deal with it the way he wants us to. And the first direction, the first thing that happens is this. If we say we, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. And here's what happens we're not careful. The first thing that happens is we try to cover our sin. We try to cover our sin. What we do is we do wrong, but then we try to make excuses for it. Cover it with excuses or cover it with not whatever. And don't get me wrong. I know what the Bible says. Love covers the multitude of sin. But it's not talking about covering your sin that did wrong. It's talking about when someone's done wrong and got it right, you don't have to go around and tell everybody about it. Keep your mouth shut and let that love for you cover the fact that they have gotten right and they don't, never, everybody doesn't need to know they did wrong. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about our personal sin that we refuse to put before God and confess his sin, admit it's sin, and get it right with God. We cover it, and the real, how we cover it is we cover it by lying. If you would, please, hold your place there and go back over to the book of 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5, great story, and obviously I won't cover all of it this morning, but when Naaman, what, the leper, uh, came... And we know the story. You know it probably well or better than I do. But, of course, he was, he was the host, the capital host of the king of Syria. And he was a great man and so forth. But what happened? He had leprosy. 
and his leprosy was, uh, he want, they wanted to have him healed. And you know the story about the little maid and how that she talked about if he could get to his, her people where she was from. She'd been taken captive out of Israel and so forth. If he could just get back there, that there was a man of God that could help him. And, of course, you know the story that they sent him to. The, the, the king sent him to, to the king of Israel. And he's like, am I God? I, I, I can't take care of this guy. And, of course, we know Elisha stepped in. And Elisha said, look, go down and dip in the, uh, dip in the river down there. And, and if you'll do that, you'll come back clean. He refused to do that because he didn't want to go. He said, we've got, uh, we, we've got rivers that are, are better than those. Why would I do it, dip in this one? Uh, I, I, may I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and, and rage left. And one of his servants said, no, look, if he asks you to do something great, you do it. So he went down, dipped in the Jordan, according to the saying, and we know that he was cleansed. And then he returned to the man of God. And that's where we pick up at this morning. He returned to the man of God. He comes back, and he, and he tries to give the man of God, give him some things and so forth. Look at verse 20, it says, But Gehazi, who was a servant of Elisha, and by the way, had been his servant for years. Now, you've got to remember this. I want you to get the context of Gehazi. He was his servant of Elisha. We're talking about a man who did all kinds of miracles. Remember, he's the guy that was with Elisha when Elisha told the woman she's going to have a baby. And then when the man, little boy died, when the boy died, and he was the one that went and and put the staff on him. He's the one that was there. He saw what happened. He saw him raised. He saw the miracles that God used Elisha to do over and over and over again. Here's a guy who spent all this time with Elisha as his servant. So he wasn't a novice. He wasn't someone who didn't understand how God worked. He wasn't someone who didn't understand the prayer. He wasn't one to understand working with God for God. And Elijah, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian in not receiving his hand that which he brought. But as for the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. Of, of him. So Gehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chair to meet him, and he said, It's all well. He said, All is well. My master has sent me. Say Behold, even now there has come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two chains of garments. And Naaman said, Be content. Take two talents. And he urged him, and he bound two talents <coughs> excuse me, of silver and two bags and with two changes of garment. And laid upon two of his servants, and they bare them before him. And when he came to the tower, he took them from the hand and bestowed them in his house, and he let the men go, and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. And he said to him, Went not mine heart with thee when the man turned again from the chair to meet thee? It is a, it is, it is a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and manservants and maidservants. The leprosy thereof name and shall cleave unto thee to thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence, a leper as white as snow. Now, there's a whole sermon, and I may have even preached here, I think I did one time, a sermon on this, but watch this. I just want to come at this one thought. What happened? He coveted after what he saw. Here's a man, again, a servant of, of Elisha. I mean, of Elisha, yeah. And he saw the miracles. He saw God work. He saw God provide. But yet, somehow or another, he got backslidden. 
in the midst of all the miracles and all the great things God did, he got backslidden and began to covet. And he went back and he let his desire make it, help him make a decision that took him a direction he didn't want to go, which gave him a destiny he definitely didn't want. You know what he did? Verse 22, and he said, All is well. My master has sent me. Now, did his master send him to go after Naaman and ask for those things? Yes or no? I mean, this is, you're supposed to answer. Did he send him back to get those garments and to get that wet, the, the silver? Yes or no? So what did he do? He lied to cover his covetous sin. He lied to cover his sin. Now watch this. That's not the end of it. Look on over. He goes back. He, his servants, he takes the stuff from the servants. He goes into the tower. He takes it and bestows it in his house, uh, in the house. He departs from them, and they depart. He goes in before Elisha, and Elisha says, Whence cometh thou, Gage? And he says, Thy servant went no whither. Is that the truth or a lie? He's covering his sin again. Two times he covers his sin. He became covetous, which turned him into being a liar. And we look at him and we say, well, he knew better. I mean, this guy's with, with Elisha and he saw the miracles and he saw God do some unbelievable things. What's the matter with him? I'll tell you what happened. He got backslidden. He did what a lot of times we do. Just because you're around the work of God doesn't mean you're right with God. Just because you're in the work of God doesn't mean you're right with God. Just because you're a bus captain or a bus worker or a Sunday school teacher or sing in the choir or lead the choir or, or whatever, an usher, that doesn't mean you're right with God. Here's a man who's with the man of God, who spends time with him, He's his servant with him 24-7 or somewhere thereabouts. But yet, he becomes covetous. He's watched God supply Elisha's needs. He was there when he saw what they did. He saw God do miracles through Elisha. But yet all he saw didn't keep him from becoming covetous. And not just becoming covetous, but lying to get what he wanted. Covering his sin by lying. We want to have fellowship with the Father. We're not going to have fellowship with the Father until we stop covering our sin. See, you're not going to be right with God while you got sin in your life. While you're walking in known sin and covering it, making excuses why you're doing what you're doing. Say, how do you know that? Because I've done it. And excuses don't last long because God begins to convict your heart. You know what happens when you lie? You lie they're pointed in three different directions if we go back to our original text. These sins are pointed. Watch this. If we say we have fellowship with him and, walk, uh, with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The first direction your sin is pointed... It's toward others. You lie. And you lie to them. 
Why do we lie to others? Because we're more concerned about what they think about us than what God knows about us. Well, if they knew I did that, they would think I was, et cetera, et cetera. And may I say this to the preachers in here and the staff? You're not careful. You can think, well, because I'm on staff, I can't admit that I sometimes make mistakes or I'll look bad and they'll think badly of me. We don't have to, you don't have to worry about that. We already know. Because we're the same way you are. You know, one thing I love about uh, Brother Frost, I, a lot of things about him, my pastor now, but one thing I love about him, he's very transparent. He doesn't say, you folks, he'll say, you know what? Hear what I experienced. I struggle with this. I don't know about you, but I struggle with this. He's being transparent. He's saying, I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived. I got a long ways to go, and I know you do too, and let's go on this journey together, and let's arrive. First, we lie to others. Well, who did Gehazi? He lied to others. He lied to, first he lied to Naaman. Oh, Naaman, my master sent me back. Master never sent you anywhere, Bubba. He gets back. Elisha says, where you been? I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, you did. We lie to other people. And if you know if you lie to others long enough, you know what you'll eventually do? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Then you lie to yourself. Well, now, we make excuses and begin to believe the excuses we made. First we lie to others, then we lie to ourselves. But that's not the end of the road. We don't stop there. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Who's the him? God. And his word is not in us. We lie. If you lie to others long enough, you begin to believe it yourself. And, if you, and you'll lie to yourself and begin to believe it. And then you'll start lying to God, thinking that God's going to accept it. The difference is God already knows you're lying the whole time. Just like when he got back, even though Elisha was God's man, Elisha said, you didn't. Wait a minute. Your heart left. When he left, your heart left with him a while ago. I know what you did. The Bible says in Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. God said, look, I cannot lie. And you're making me out to be a liar when you say you have no sin. We'll never have a revival in our heart and life. Send the great revival in my soul. As long as I don't have to let go of any of my sin, let the Holy Spirit come and take control as long as I can live just like I am. That, if we sang it the way we really feel, that's the way we sang it. Revive them again. Fill their heart. Not revive me. Not revive us. It's revive them. Because after all, us is okay. It's them that's the problem. You know what people do? They listen to a preacher preach and they go, boy, that really would have helped so-and-so. I've made it a habit. Brother. I, I, believe it or not, I should be right with God. I'm not, but I should be. I go to two preaching services on Sunday morning and Sunday night, preaching message, and Wednesday night and chapels and everything else. I mean, you'd think after much preaching. But I, we've, we've been, we're, this is, next Sunday is the last Sunday. We've been having an 845 service and 11 o'clock service. So I go and lead singing for the 845 and stay in for the preaching, take notes, and then I check them, and anything I missed, I add it on in the 11 o'clock service. I'm preaching the same sermon twice. I usually walk the aisle both times because I need it both times. Now, you wouldn't need it both times. No, most of you wouldn't, but I would. You know why? Because I know that if I'm not careful, I'll start making excuses for why I am what I am when I'm not what I ought to be. 
So what we do is we, we make excuses. We cover our sin. We cover it. And we get nowhere. When really what we ought to do is what he says in verse 9. If we confess our sin. You're not going to have revival until you learn to confess your sin. And now here's what most people think confessing their sin is. I did wrong. Okay, let's move on. That's not what confess means. It comes from two words, which means to confess it and to forsake it. You admit it. See, admitting your sin is not confession of sin. Admission of guilt is not confession of sin. Confession means you see the sin as God sees it from his point of view. You must agree with God about your sin. See, if I look at it from my viewpoint, well, I'm not that bad. If I look at it from your viewpoint, well, I'm not that bad. I'll find somebody's worse than I am. But if I look at it from the Holy One of Israel's perspective, I realize just how wicked I really am. I realize how sinful I really am. He says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just. So the first thing we, we, first way we can deal with our sin is just cover it over, let it go. And that's what the majority of Christians do. They just cover it over and let it go. Hey, I'm not as bad as other people. I don't know why they're screaming and hollering up there, ripping and stomping about that. I'm not as bad as a lot of other people. I know people that's worse than I am. Well, I do too. But that don't mean I, but you know what? I don't have to answer for them. I have to answer for me. I don't have to stand, I don't have to stand before God and say, what did so-and-so do? I have to stand before God and say, what did I do? Every man shall give an account of himself to God. I have to give an account for me. I don't have to give an account for anybody else. Just me. And so you say, well, I know guys that do that, and it's okay. It doesn't matter to me what they do. It's sort of like in fundamentalism today. We talked about a little bit in class. A lot of people have taken a different stand in fundamentalism, going a different direction. Say, what do you think about it? I think they're wrong, first of all. But let me say this. Whether they're right or wrong, I don't have to answer for them, but I do have to answer for me. And when I know what this book says, my job is to obey what the book says, not what everybody else says. My job is not to answer what my buddy said, and after all, he's my friend, and he wouldn't tell me a lot. I, I don't answer for him. I don't answer for him. I answer for me. My joy is what I'm worried about. My fellowship's what I'm worried about. My relationship's what I'm worried about. My revival's what I'm worried about. Say, you're being selfish. No, I'm trying to be right with God. I can help more people if I'm right with God than I can if I'm not right with God. And I want to help people. So that Greek word for confess is two Hebrew words put together, which means to confess and forsake. So confession involves my mind to think, my heart to feel, and my will to act. That's why he said in Proverbs 23, 7, As far as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. That's why he says in Luke 6, 45, A good man out of the good treasures of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. An evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of his heart his mouth speaketh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Mine eye affected my heart because of all the daughters of my city. With my mind, I admit my sin. With my heart, I hate my sin. And with my will, I forsake my sin. So when he said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. That means we look at it from God's perspective and we say, this is wrong. Don't care what anybody else does. This is wrong. I don't care where they're at. 
This is wrong. I had to decide what I believed about this book. And if this book is the final authority on everything I believe, that's my faith, on our faith and, 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 and our practice, how we live, then let it be the authority. And if it's the final authority, then I don't have any other authority to go to. And if it says it's wrong, then it doesn't matter what brother so-and-so says or sister so-and-so says or, or, or doctor so-and-so says or evangelist so-and-so says. What does God say? That's the whole problem. We worry about what everybody else says. And that's why we lie to cover our sin. We're worried about what everybody else is going to think about it. But guess what? God already knows. So we can cover it or we can confess it. I like this part, though. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse them all in righteousness. And I like this. See, my fellowship with God is based on being like Christ. If my sins are confessed, then Christ see, God sees me like Christ. He, see, to confess does two things for my sins. Watch this. When I confess, truly confess, he forgives and he cleanses. When he forgives, there's two characteristics I see in this passage. Look at this. If we confess our sins, he is, what's the next word? He is and two characteristics. He's faithful and he's just. Don't miss this. God has always been faithful to do what God said God would do. If I truly confess my sins, Brother Josh, God says, I'm going to forgive you for all of them. Some of you, are, here's your problem. It's not that you haven't confessed, that you, you haven't accepted the fact that God actually forgave you. Let me say it again. You have not accepted the fact that God actually forgave you of every sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us all. A-L-L. Isn't that wonderful? This is the character of God we're talking about. So I just don't believe he'll do that. Then you don't believe the Bible. God says, I love you so much that if you come and truly confess, I mean, if you come with a, with a heart, with a mind that admits my sin, with a heart that hates your sin, with a will that's willing to forsake your sin, and you come and you truly look at it like I look at it and you ask forgiveness, I'll tell you what I will do. I will forgive you. I am faithful to forgive you. I am faithful to give you for uh, our sin. I'm faithful to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And I'm just. If God did not forgive me, he would not be just to Jesus. How about them apples? He has to be just to Christ. Christ paid for all our sin. And therefore, if God's going to be just about it, and he is, he has to be just to Christ because Christ already paid for those sins. Let me say it again. Christ already paid for those sins. He's faithful and he's just. What a great God. What a great God. So he cleansed me. Now this is the best part. He forgives me and he cleanses me. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me all unrighteousness. You back up and he says, In the passage earlier, 
If we say we have, no, we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and deny truth. But if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with, a, with another, with one, with, with another, one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Some of you need to quit hammering yourself over the head because you made mistakes and did wrong. You need to finally find yourself a place at this altar in just a few moments and get on your face before God. Say to God, all right, I ask you to forgive me. I'm going to quit asking you over and over again. I'm going to accept your forgiveness. And I, am, I know that your blood has cleansed me. And I'm going to praise you. And I'm going to thank you. And I'm going to honor you. And I'm going to worship you because you forgave him all my sin. And your blood cleansed me from all unrighteousness. And I'm not going to hang on to it and keep hanging on to it and keep keeping it from me from having joy. I'm going to tell the devil to go on back where he belongs so I can have that joy that I want so desperately that, I have, that God promised me I want it. And when I realize that he forgave me and he cleansed me, yes, we all make mistakes. Yes, we've all done wrong. But why don't we come to God and quit lying about it and quit trying to cover it by lying and say, God, I want to confess. I want to truly come to you and confess. And when I get right with you, I want to accept that forgiveness. And the problem is we don't accept the forgiveness. And you're running around carrying it. You come to the altar and ask God to forgive you or get on your knees and ask God to forgive you. Get up and take it back with you. Leave it at the altar. He said, I am just. I am faithful. I am just to forgive your sin. And I love it when he says in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgression from us. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, for I will be merciful unto the unrighteous and to their, and their sins and their iniquities. Will I remember no more? Will I remember no more? And then he says in Hebrews 10, 17, and their sins and their iniquities, will I remember no more. It wasn't good. It wasn't hard. It wasn't enough for him to say it in Hebrews chapter number 8, verse 12. He said, let me give you that one one more time in case you missed it the first time. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a great God. Amen. Quit hiding your sin by, and quit covering your sin and making excuses for it and lying to yourself, lying to others, lying to yourself and lying to God about it. Come and find your place at an old-fashioned altar. Pull your heart up before God and say, I have sinned. I was wicked. I was dirty. I was vile. God, I see it now like you said. It's sin that hung Jesus on the cross. Sin that nailed Him to the cross. My sin, my wickedness, my thoughts, my words, my actions. And I want to get right with you, thoroughly right with you tonight or this morning. And I want those sins put under the blood. And I want them cleansed. And I'm going to accept your forgiveness because you said you would forgive me and you would cleanse me and that you're faithful and you're just. And when you forgive, you forget. Not going to take the consequences away, but he'll sure, surely cleanse you from it. And I'm so glad I got that kind of a God. Quit beating yourself. That's the problem, I think, in Christian, and sometimes when we preach hard against sin, people begin to beat themselves over the head because they do wrong. I can never serve God. Look at me. I've made so many mistakes, preacher. How can I ever serve God? Same way all of us do. Because we got a wonderful God. we got a forgiving God. we got a God who loves us more than we could ever understand. We got a God who went to Calvary and, and as, uh, God the Son, God in the flesh, who went to Calvary and died and bear, was buried and rose again and paid the sin debt and conquered sin and death. The one who shed his precious blood and the blood ran down that cross, that blood was saying, You're forgiven! You're forgiven! You're forgiven! 
You're forgiven. Accept that forgiveness. So you can have your joy back. Oh, let the joy of Jesus put a smile up on your face. Let the joy of Jesus every little. Forgot the next word, erase. Some of you need to let the joy of Jesus come back. Find your place at an altar. Really get right with God. Quit the playing stuff. Okay, I got to impress everybody. Let me run down real quick. <laughs> Dear God, forgive me. Okay, back. <laughs> the same I was before. No, you're, you're not helping yourself. Just stay in your seat. You'll get more out of it if you just stay and listen. Look. If you find your place in an altar and do business with God, and he says, I'll, I'll make you right. You know those things you've been carrying for years? Some of you older adults like me, it's got the gray. If you ever grew a beard, it would be gray, white. Hear me now. You're carrying things around that you've been carrying around for 20, 30, 40 years. Won't you quit holding on to those things? God has forgiven you. Won't you come and get the forgiveness and just realize he's faithful and just? That's his character. And realize he's removed them. All of them. Father, I'd like to have a story that I could give that would help stir the folks in this room this morning. But if your word's not going to stir them, my story is not going to stir them. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I'm so glad that even though sometimes I'm so wicked, it's unbelievable. You forgive. You forget. You're so faithful and just when I look at it from your perspective. Quit covering it making excuses for it and lying like Gehazi lied twice. And I really decide I'm going to really get right. You always forgive me and cleanse me and you let the joy return. And I'm reminded of David when he really got thoroughly right with God in Psalm 51. He said to you, Father, he said, restore to me the joy of my salvation upon me with thy free spirit. And you did. And the joy came back. There are folks sitting all over this room that's looking for the joy back. You just gave it to us in 1 John 1, that your joy might be full. Got to restore that fellowship. How are we going to restore the fellowship? Confessing the sin and getting it right. Then we can walk in light, not in darkness. Then we can have fellowship with the Father and with the Son and with one another. Then we can have that joy when we've confessed and got it right. How do we deal with our sin? Well, we could cover it or we could confess it. May this morning be a time of confession not covering. Bless the invitation, bless pastors. He comes and runs the invitation in Christ's name. Amen.